Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text, the weekly podcast, a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage. We hope that it will be enjoyable and a little edifying for all, and especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation at Wesley Seminary at Indian Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Amanda Drury, one of my regular guests and favorite preachers and students of the Word. And she is a professor also at Indiana Wesleyan University, as well as the director of the Imaginarium and a whole other host of cool things that she's in charge of, including being uh, my uh, spouse. Our text this week is Numbers chapter 11, verses 24 through 30. Numbers chapter 11, verses 24 through 30. We're continuing our uh, sort of Old Testament focus during this year. Um, this is Pentecost Sunday's text, uh, but it's the Old Testament text. Uh, you'll see why soon enough if you're not familiar with Numbers 11. So Numbers 11, 24 uh, through 30. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you enjoy the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass the show on to others so that they may benefit as well. And if you get a chance to click on the link uh, to support the show, uh, we'd sincerely appreciate that as well. Uh, There's a lot of production work behind the scenes, and it's helpful to uh, pay for some of those things as well as compensate those who work so hard uh, to make this happen. So uh, thanks for listening, and enjoy this show uh, and this conversation with Amanda. Okay. Um, Would you be willing to read from whatever version you prefer? I'm actually reading out of my childhood Bible that I got, what, like five or six years old? No, 10. It's an NIV version here. Let's see what I would have read. New New International Version version? International Version, pre-2011. I'm teasing you. You said said NIV version. So I was (laughs) making fun of you for... Uh, Thanks. Yeah, Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) You know, it's the it's the New International Version version. <laughs> oh, you don't read this one? <laughs> okay. Awesome. All right. So I'm reading from Numbers 11, verses 24 through 30. So Moses um, went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with them. And he took of the spirit that was on him and put the spirit on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Mehdad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the spirit also rested on them and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Mehadad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, let us pray. Father, we dare to ask that the spirit of prophecy would be upon us this very hour. We dare to ask that your Holy Spirit would move in Amanda and myself and in all those listening in to authorize and awaken and equip us as bearers of the word for the sake of the world. We dare to ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So what grabs you today as you look at this passage? This is a strange passage. Uh, this is not one I've spent a lot of time with. And uh, in fact, I, I read it through earlier today and just kind of went, huh, really? What is this? 
so it's, it's, it's a strange passage in a sense, because I don't really understand the purpose of it upon the first read. Hmm. So we've got, okay, 70 people who are prophesying. There's two that aren't a part of the group. They start prophesying. Joshua gets mad. Moses speaks up for them. And then they return from the camp. I, I think it's interesting or, or strange that the elders are prophesying around the tent and that when they return to the camp, they're not prophesying anymore. It yeah. Again. So I would have thought if these people were going to be prophesying, it would be for the sake of the other Israelites there that, you know, people in the camp would hear these elders prophesying. Uh, but as far yeah. as we that, it's just Moses listening to them prophesy outside of the, the, the tent. You know, there, there were those two that apparently were in the camp that other people may have heard. Yeah, I think, I think the fact that it highlights the blocking of where people are is worth kind of taking into account as we begin to interpret, right? To sort of recognize that, because we get the names of these guys, but these aren't big players in the, in the Torah more yeah. broadly, right? So what's more important is where they are than who they are, I think, mm-hmm. right? Just at least at first glance because of the way that things um, play out. So, although I wonder, I wonder if this was more about showing Moses that, that God could speak through anybody. Cause if, if we go earlier in the chapter, Moses just goes on this, this pity party for himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll pull out a few verses starting with verse 11. So Moses is asking the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put this burden of all these people on me that mm-hmm. I all these people did I give them birth why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their forefathers where can I get meat for all these people Uh, skipping ahead I cannot carry all these people by myself the burden is too heavy for me if this is how you're going to treat me put me to death right now if I found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin and then that's when the Lord tells him to bring the 70 out to him. So it seems like this, this prophecy is, is, is in response to Moses' outcry here. Yeah, because they're going to get some quail later, and he'll eventually, it's like almost as if God has a twofold answer. He's like, well, I can provide meat. But before that, let's address the underlying issue here, which yeah. is you think that you're bearing them. <laughs> I am bearing them uh-huh. through the wilderness. Uh-huh. You are my prophet. You are my mouthpiece, you know, and the spirit that I placed on you in principle could be on anybody else. Right. right? No, I think that's a really good insight. Although never explicitly stated, you know, which is not as a, that's not meant as a counterpoint as much as uh, perhaps the, uh, the power of it is, uh, is connected to that. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Because... Then the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him Mm. and put it on the elders, the 70 elders. Okay. Yours has some of the spirit. Well, let's, let's look. I'm, I'm turning in the, because that, if so, that's going to be relevant because, uh, is it 25? Is it, was that verse 25? Yeah. Yeah, so my version has just the one I happen to have out, but let's take a look. It's just of, he, and he, and. Took of the spirit. And took of the spirit, yes. Mm-hmm. Right, men. But men is being used here. It could just mean, it doesn't have to be a portion, right? But right. that seems to be what the verb's inviting, right? He yeah. takes Right. But I think it's relevant because it's not, it's the spirit that was upon him, meaning Moses, right? It's not saying that God, it's really important, I think, that God, at least in this particular instance, doesn't pour out his spirit on 70 elders. It's, he's already put his spirit on Moses. Yeah. And he's spreading that spirit onto them. And as you said, temporarily, well, at least the prophecy was temporary. Yeah. Um, although true. never again, it doesn't say that the spirit huh. then comes huh. back to Moses. It doesn't say that. Yeah. Um, cause it didn't leave Moses. Right. So he took right. 
from the spirit of Moses, put it on them, the same that was upon him. And when it rested upon them, they prophesied, although never ago, never again did they so, right? So it's this, yeah, even just up through 25, it's already really strange. Although, like you said, I, I can see that, that there's a, that there's a pedagogy to Moses here, a teaching uh, of Moses, an instruction of Moses, while at the same time also an empowering of these elders. Yeah. I, um, I wonder if Moses felt different. You know, it, could, could he tell that, you know, some of the spirit was moved to them or is the whole thing just overwhelming that you can't tell, you know, one drop mm-hmm. is the same as a bucket full. I don't know. I do like his response. When we look at it in context, I like his response more than in chapter in verse 29, when he says, you know, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all of the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you, you can understand why, why he's saying, you know, I didn't want to carry them all by myself anyway. I would love it if God would spread that out to other people. I mean, you can almost, not sarcasm, but almost a bite to it. Yeah, the nobility of verse 29. When when I first heard you read today, it was very noble. Like, ah, yes, all all are prophets. Priesthood of all believers. Uh, But then in the larger context, I mean, that's... That's still there, but it's it's uh, there's also a kind of burden sharing that he's yeah. highlighting. Yeah. I think well, that's good. Let's uh, let's take a quick break and come back and uh, and dig in a little deeper. Okay. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest Amanda Drury, and we are looking at Numbers chapter eleven, twenty four through 30 the this strange you know event so we we, we kind of camped out on the opening verses and his response to joseph there's really that's kind of the first beat and the third beat in a way there's this kind of middle moment that is probably also worth exploring a little when two men remained in the camp named eldad and Meadad, and it's like the spirit like almost like it was like this overflow, right? Like there was spirit to spare, right? Now you had a line in verse 26, right? The, uh, they were among those registered. How did yours translate the Um, mid towards the end of 26? They were listed among the elders to the tent. Yeah. So, so NIV is making a decision there that that's what that means. It's probably accurate, but it just says they were among the listed. Okay. (laughs) So, but that seems right, but they had not gone out to the tent. So then they ended up prophesying in the camp. So now this confirms your point even more, which is not only that at least Joshua is responding the way that you and I initially were, which is, well, if they're going to prophesy, they need to not to be doing that in the camp as if this prophesying is clearly a kind of like some kind of, for lack of a better term, some kind of religious experience that needs to be happening over by the tent. This isn't for anybody, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is, which you can see why this is such a, a sort of important passage in the history of the, of the spirit as it were. Right. Cause you know, usually like you, you see this unfolding of the of the language of the spirit throughout the scriptures, where the spirit tends to be coming on to individuals, often for a long time, uh, to as leaders, right, or in or or a short time in order to proclaim a word, mm-hmm. some kind of prophecy, and so you have these. Whereas here, it's it, the spirit's kind of mostly performing. The prophecy is mostly. I, I don't know about you, but when I read the text, the the prophetic action, the, the action of prophesying, whatever that means and entails, is seems like almost a, um, uh, a symptom or an overflow or a kind of collateral damage because the spirit has come out onto the elders, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, because it's not like it's like now they're going to, you know, hand on the law, right? It's like, no, they're just the elders. They're going to keep being the elders uh, who are going to judge cases and, and such, right? Yeah. Um, so it's it's all the more interesting that then you've got Eldad and Medad kind of running around in the camp. Uh, are they speaking? What are they doing? Are they speaking in tongues? Are they are they 
prophesying things to come or are they saying secrets that they know now? Like, well, it doesn't say it's fascinating. Like, and and why weren't they there in the first place? (laughs) It's so wild. We have no idea. Did they not get the memo? Were they, was this some kind of rebellion? Uh, Well, let's check. How many elders are there? 70? Uh, Well, he brought together 70 of their elders. So there's two that aren't there. Yeah, but are there only 72? I'm trying to remember. I'm flipping back to when he divided up everybody. Uh Looking at Jethro in Exodus 18. You know, chose able men out of Israel and made them heads of the peoples, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens. And that might not be the elders that he's talking about here, mm-hmm. but. Oh, 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 hey, here we go. Here we go. John in uh, verse 16, the yep. Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Yeah, but that, that's what I'm trying to say is those 70 are not. That's not the total totality of right. elders, right? Yeah. yeah, it sounds like there's more than that. Could probably hundreds, right? It's not like there's just two that didn't come, right? Yeah. So that, that is interesting. And it's almost a double, it's almost a double whammy because the spreading of his spirit onto the 70 is already a kind of message to Moses that I'm going to relieve this burden from you. Mm-hmm. And then even those 70, it's like it's spreading even beyond that, right? This kind of, you know, this abundance, right? I can't help but picture this scene as like, you know, are these two guys? I mean, there's like, there's, there's like different ways to picture it. Uh, I'd love to hear how you picture it. I mean, what I'm picturing is that they actually kind of felt left out and they were close and they were in the camp, but watching, hmm. Right. I'm not saying this is not an exegetical remark at all. This is just a kind of imaginative possibility that they're kind of in proximity, perhaps with some jealousy, perhaps with some curiosity. um, And this kind of explosive uh, spiritual event uh, sort of gets on them, you know? Um, Now that's one possibility. There's other possibilities, but how are you picturing it? So I, I, I've been picturing it as these two guys who didn't really take their positions all that seriously. So he's pulling together 70 people and in, in, in my imagination, they're just kind of rolling their eyes and uh, I've got, I've got better things to do than this right now. So the fact that the prophecy comes up, the spirit comes upon them as well. Uh, I see as very jarring and perhaps a wake up call. A, Whoa, Hey, there's something here. Which is in turn all the more jarring for Joshua and Moses in terms of seeing God's just kind of arbitrary election of two random dudes. Uh-huh. Right. I mean, elders. Yeah. But not, not particularly uh, savvy ones. Right. Right. Of course, another possibility is that, you know, I mean, God said pick 70, but he didn't tell him which 70. Uh, <laughs> so it could be that like, God was like, well, actually I kind of wanted those two, you know, yeah. and these are, I mean, that's already three very different pictures and the text can't really determine one of those, but maybe, maybe that's for the sake of the people so that, um, you know, the people didn't witness all 70 of them prophesying, but they saw two. So when they're, when they're coming back, there's a certain legitimacy to what they might be testifying to. Yeah. One of the oddities here is when it says they're not, cause they're not outside the camp, they're at the tent Right. And the tent would be is in the middle, you know, if you've in terms of the descriptions of the tent, right? The tent of meeting is in the middle, and then the the camps are around, right? Okay. So it's not that like there's the camp and then the tent of meeting is like some totally far away place, right? Well, so, so when when Moses says that when it says in verse thirty that Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp, mm-hmm. you just moving out back into the surrounding tent okay i think so because they are encamped around the tent of meeting yeah yeah okay that's at least unless unless the arrangement has been changed during numbers and i'm forgetting that Mm -hmm. but i have no i have no awareness of a relocation of the tent of meeting so it's not that 
you know, you've got this, yeah. Um, but it is a returning to the camp because you wouldn't think of that as the camp. That's the tent of meeting in the middle, right? Yeah. So, I mean, this event may have, in fact, been visible, but I don't know, not necessarily. I mean, uh, there could have been enough terror and there's some curtains and, you know, it's, it's not yeah, – this could be performing all kinds of functions. Like you say, the one function – I mean, again, you, you and I, when we read scriptures or – regularly kind of tempted to psychologize, especially the leaders, because we're leaders or pastors or what, you know what I mean? To kind of wonder what's going on. But when I think about it as a text, just how it's functioning as a, as a, as literature, right? The, the message is sort of centered on as literature. It seems that the, the story really culminates in Moses's line in 29, right? The, jealous for my be jealous for the lord but don't be jealous for me like th- this desire that the spirit you know not be just on one but to be on the elders but even that is wouldn't it be better that they'd be on all the people right right would that all the lord's people were prophets and that the lord would put his spirit on them you know this this almost uh at this point in the story it's just a kind of almost a kind of contrary to fact wish. I mean, obviously that couldn't happen, but wouldn't that be great? You know? Uh, And so it's not, you know, not a coincidence that this is often a passage that's read on Pentecost Sunday, right. As a kind of, you know, uh, anticipation of the desire that wasn't even realized, you know, as a sort of legitimate pursuit in Moses's mind in this moment, but at least in the text as it stands, it's kind of this, this picture of God's not just relieving a burden as because he loves Moses as a friend, but also a kind of subtle little anticipation Hmm. of the deep desire of God, Uh, which is to have a a prophetic people, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, you are a, yeah, you are a nation of, you are a priestly nation a kingly nation, as is said back in Exodus mm-hmm. uh, 19. And then here you get the, th- the third factor, a prophetic nation, you know? Yeah. And, and this, is in, this is in response to Moses's complaint here, where he's saying, you know, I, ca- I cannot carry all these people by myself. I, I, I love the way that he's, he's complaining here. And, mm-hmm. and God's response of, of pouring out the spirit on these elders. I mean, you get the sense of God almost saying, well, you don't have to, or, or you wonder if this would have happened earlier had Moses just spoken up. <laughs> you know, it's not like they're arguing about something. Moses asks for something, and it seems like the Lord is saying, okay. <laughs> you know, it, it almost seems like Moses gets this pent-up anger, and then it just bursts out, and, and you can't help but wonder, you know, if he would have just voiced this, if you would have used your nice voice <laughs> and said please and thank you earlier, if this would have happened sooner. Yeah, I mean... The, the verse is right before so helpful, right? Moses said, the people among whom I am number 600,000 on foot. And you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and enough for them? <laughs> so he's kind of, I don't, I, I don't see the possibility here. And the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not, mm. you know. And the immediate fulfilling of that word is the taking some of that spirit and placing it onto these, onto these elders. And then the wind comes, and this is really important then in verse 31, uh, that a big wind begins to blow um, but don't miss this. Verse 31, va-ruach nasha, a big ruach, same word as spirit. Uh. A big spirit blows, and with it all this quail comes, and then there's meat for everyone to eat, right? Um, I think that's it. I appreciated you kind of giving us some context before. The context I want to provide is what comes right after, yeah. Is that the, 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 the Ruach, I'll just use the Hebrew word for a little while. The Ruach that was on Moses has been for a long time, 
has been spread out among these 70 elders that Moses chose. It's even be, been placed on two random elders uh, <laughs> in the camp. And of course, Joshua, who is going to be the key Ruach bearer in the time to come, is there in the story. But then the Ruach of God is still, it's not, it's not contained by Moses or the 70 or the two or Joshua. It's, it's also freely moving over the waters and bringing a bunch of quail in, right? Right, right. Okay, verse 31, you, you pulled our attention there. I, I saw something I have not noticed before, and maybe I'm reading this incorrectly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the Ruach drove quail in from the sea. It brought them down all around the camp to about three feet above the ground. Does that mean these quail are hovering three feet above the ground? Because if so, this makes all of my childhood frustrations with this story go away. I, I, growing up, I was always kind of grossed out at the thought of their food being on the ground. Oh, really? Oh, every time I hear this story. Yeah. I, had, that's, I love it when you tell us your little thoughts that you got <laughs> launched. Yeah, it's two, two cubits. Yeah, I mean, they're five. So a, a, cu- cu- a cubits uh, from the tip of your, your fingers okay. to your elbow. So it's like 18-ish inches. So two cubits would be three feet. So yeah, they're fluttering there, kind of still flying, which the wind, you know, the ruach can do, right? The spirit of God is kind of monitoring there and then they could scoop them up. So you think they're still alive when they're hovering? It could go either way. Works either way. What's it say? Let's see here. Brought them down all around the camp to about three feet above the ground as far as the days walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. Oh, yeah. Well, it would have to be. Like, yeah, no, of course they're alive. Yeah. What what makes you think that? Well, for one, they wouldn't be fresh. It's just a dead a dead quail floating in the air. Well, that that doesn't seem like the biggest problem. <laughs> what do you mean? Doesn't seem like I don't understand what you mean. Uh, dead quail floating in the air seems no less strange than live quail. Oh oh, I wasn't meaning like I, this wasn't a naturalistic objection. It was a culinary objection. It would taste bad. <laughs> have to god could like sprinkle heavenly preservatives on them yeah but where's the verse that says that happens right i mean like we we, the miracles are the things that are recorded not like the other the additional miracles to solve our exegetical problems isn't it more of a (laughs) no (laughs) i love it no but you do you do what everybody does which is to solve an exegetical problem with an additional miracle not listed in the text that it's like one of my pet peeves. <laughs> it's like I have more faith than you, John. <laughs> what's that? Well, no, I mean, it's because it says they're fluttering. It's Where? the opening line. It's fluttering. It's the opening line. Now a Ruach went out from Yahweh and it brought quail from the sea and left them fluttering near the camp. So... <laughs> I mean, here's my ESV. It has, yeah, let them fall beside the camp. But, I mean, that's just wrong. What what does yours have? Fall? Uh, Drove quail in from the sea. It brought them down all around the camp. Yeah, that's better. NIV is better there than, than, than ESV. Brought them down near the camp. So they're down low, right? But, I mean, the word is, 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 va, va yitzos. Uh, let's look it up. Oh, um, man, this is fun. My NIV has a footnote. What's the footnote say? Or they flew. So you're probably right. Spread, left. Uh, it can mean that they're left for dead. So it's possible. Abandoned, but also spread out, which would mean you've got your wings spread. I'm doing a quick word study. It's it used 40 times in the in the Hebrew Bible. And... It's mostly just for left leaving them, leaving something somewhere. Uh, Natash, huh. Natash. So, uh, yeah, Natash. Um, but also use the word for spread, like it spread them around the camp. But the fact that they're two, two cubits, I mean, it just makes sense because you could see like God's spirit bringing in the birds and kind of forcing them to fly only in only two feet above the ground, right? Uh-huh. Then you can go out and grab and get a fresh quail, right? Yeah. Again, yeah. if there was another verse and they were preserved from being, 
and they were preserved from going stale or something like that. Or no maggots were found in them. That if there was a line like that, then I would be like, oh yeah, okay, then they were dead. Okay. Right? okay. But since there's no there's no reference to to them being dead, and and I just know because I we had ducks when I and turkeys and like you don't you don't kill a thing and then leave it outside for two days. Yeah. It's gonna yeah. it's gonna ruin it, right? Yeah. So so the, like I said, this is a culinary, not a rationalistic objection. <laughs> I love how you thought I wasn't believing in miracles. <laughs> it's like, no, it's. <laughs> I do not like the way this chapter ends. Yeah. Yeah. So they, so they gather them all a day and a night uh, looking at verse 33, but while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck mm. them with a spear plague. Therefore the place was named Kibroth, Hatava, because there they buried the people who had craved other food. Well, okay, then why feed a bunch of people if you're just going to kill them before it's even consumed? While the food is still between their teeth. The, the issue well, isn't food, the issue is trust. Well, they, it was not food. They had manna. They had all the manna they needed. Hmm. And they were complaining about it. They were bored with manna. Yeah. And they said, we need meat. Yeah. And that's what started the whole thing. Yeah. Right? Um, all we have is this dang matta, manna, <laughs> dang matta, um, right back in verse four, there was a rabble among them that had a strong craving. The people of Israel went up again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing really, right? Just your bodies and your, la- your, your, un- your unfree labor, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Mm. It was like cakes built with oil is what manna was like. So they were, they were sick of manna. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, that, that does really help to contextualize the passage then to say that, okay, God is actually wanting to mete out judgment on the people. He's done this before. I mean, you can say you don't like that part, but of course, then the whole of numbers kind of goes, the whole Torah goes down with it, right? Uh, <laughs> so yeah, he could have punished them and then brought meat to those who remained. But of course, it's the, it's the, the people that needed punished were the ones who wanted the meat. So, and I, I mean, just like he may have poured out the spirit on these elders primarily to teach Moses a lesson, mm-hmm. in the same way he might have poured out, brought the quail in. Um, to teach Israel a lesson, right? Yeah, that yeah. That doesn't make it any less terrifying. Uh, but uh, I'll bet when they died, they hovered three feet above the ground. <laughs> <laughs> That's in my Hebrew. <laughs> and there's a special, and there's a special miracle by which they were embalmed, right? Where they were mummified in in t- two cubits above the above the earth. That was a fun argument. <laughs> I hope. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I was seeing things I wasn't seeing because the questions you were asking of the picture. No, it, it, it does seem like this. These seventy elders prophesying causes problems for Moses in the future because you look yep. at what immediately follows. It's it's Miriam and Aaron opposing Moses, and they're asking the question: Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't He also spoken through us? Yeah, and Korah's rebellion is still to come. Yeah. 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 Moses is the voice we should listen to. We've got 70 people here, you know, not counting Miriam and Aaron ourselves, 70 people whom God has spoken, whom God's spirit has fallen upon. The cloud came down and. Yeah. And it could very well be that, I mean, it doesn't specify because it, 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 it it's telling that the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. That's not mutually exclusive with the possibility that the plague was passed through the quail. Yeah. Um, because it was and, dead. <laughs> right back to your point, uh, <laughs> um, which would fit a larger pattern in the scriptures, right? Is that sometimes God, sometimes a vicious request is punished by being granted. Yeah, yeah. And you see this in the story with the, the, the rise of the kings, right? The monarchs. Mm-hmm. You want a king? I'll give you a king and you'll see. Because you want to be like the other nations? Okay, you can be like other nations. Let's see how that goes, right? Right. 
And even still, I will make use of it. Even still, I will have my, my Davidic king, and that's how I'm going to work then. Like you see God constantly sort of giving concessions while giving judgments while also all the way through executing his own purpose. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, so God's purpose is still being executed here by the, spread, by the pouring out of the Spirit, while at the same time there's punishment and there's also concession, hmm. all kind of wrapped up in one. Doesn't make it any less uh, troubling, uh, but but it also helps us kind of see the way that God is uh, guiding His people and so guiding us. Yeah. Well, with that, let's take a break and come back and do some sermon starters. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. Uh, we're looking at uh, Numbers 11, verses 24 through 30, and I'm here with my guest, Amanda Drury. Uh, so, uh, Mandy, let's explore some uh, sermon starters. Where might you run with a passage like this if you were preaching on it on Pentecost or just any time as a standalone sermon? Uh, what would you do with Numbers 11? You know, in some ways, it has a similar spirit for me that we see when Elijah, after Mount Carmel, is saying, I'm the only one left. Hmm. Now, of course, you have to go before. You have to look earlier in chapter 11. But, but, but I see that sense of, of desperation and burden and, and loneliness, in a sense. Now, I think Moses, we've got some, some anger or, hey, this is not fair. There's some injustice here. But uh, I, I, I think I would want to play with um, something along the lines of, this isn't, this isn't all on your shoulders. If, if the burden you are feeling is too burdensome, then it's probably not. Well, one of our professors used to talk about fal- false crosses. Hmm. Yeah, a false cross that you're bearing. We're called the false, false cross. False burden. False yeah. burden here, right? Yeah. To, to pick, up, pick up your cross and follow. So it's a burden, but it's meant to be a, a movable burden. You should be able to, <laughs> to, to walk beneath it here. Um, so... So it, it, it just seems like such a heavy burden for Moses that he's carrying, and, and perhaps it, it doesn't have to be as heavy as he's making it. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, as our listeners can hear uh, just then, if not before, some kids running around in the background and such, um, we're recording this in advance, as always. We work ahead on fresh text, but during the, the quarantine, yeah. Um, and by the time this drops, uh, things could be different. But nevertheless, uh, the consequences of the crisis will be continuing. Yeah. And even if this is an evergreen episode somebody listens to years from now, just because they're studying this passage and want to hear a couple people talk about it, um, there's always crises that weigh on us, and we tend and it, and they weigh us down. They're they're burdened. I mean, I. I I know I've felt an extra weight with just like, I mean, I can do my work from home. I can, I I already have a relatively flexible job. Um, A lot of people don't. uh, And that's been weighing on me. You know what I mean? And there's something about reading a passage where that, the carrying of that burden before God in prayer is, is relieved, yeah. uh, not completely. He doesn't take his spirit away from Moses. That would be a punishment, right? Um, and even though there is some punishment for the people to come for their impertinent request, Moses' request is not regarded by God as impertinent, apparently. Right. Uh, although it does have some consequence, some negative consequences, right? Uh, mm-hmm. but, but the empowering of people always is risk. There's always risk involved when others are when burdens are shared, yeah. right? There, there's a certain, even though he's complaining about it, and even though I'm complaining about the burdens that are weighing on me during this season, um, there is a kind of perverse kind of safety because then they're my problems, right? It, there's a risk in saying, God, can you, you know, help allow me to bear others' burdens and let them bear mine, right? That kind of sharing yeah. of burden. Oh, oh. So, okay. Well, like you said, we'll still be feeling effects of the quarantine here. If, you know, if if it's not. This will drop in May. 
this will drop in May. Maybe we will all be <laughs> free on the streets, maybe not. But, but I'm struck by at least how right now this really echoes what a lot of our pastors are, are seeing and experiencing right now in terms of this, this, great, this great burden. You know, our jobs are hard enough as they are. And then something like, like the COVID-19 virus hits and, and it's just, so you look at Moses's words here. Um, you know, I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. Uh, mm-hmm. You're going to treat me, put me to death right now. If I found favor in your eyes, do not let me face my own ruin. And I've, I've had a number of conversations with pastors, even over the last week that they seem to be almost killing themselves, trying to provide things for their churches you know, mm-hmm. trying to provide the, the same kind of programming that uh, they're, they're getting creative. They're, they're operating essentially as, as startups. And, uh, and there've been a few times where I've, where I've wondered if perhaps the church is working too hard right now. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm also been talking with some pastors who are kind of saying not, not the opposite, but kind of this other simultaneously, uh-huh. there's this other trajectory because I keep hearing from people saying things like, um, they're not all just coming to me for care because they can't, right? They have to be caring, you know what I mean? And hey, maybe getting together in small groups and doing stuff with your family and your kids. Like we've been, we've been, yeah. we've been ringing the intergenerational and small group bells for years. And like now it's kind of happening of necessity when in actuality, we've been trying to say for years, this is where the substance is. And the gathering is just one aspect of church life. Right. And like you're saying, at the same time, there's a lot of, a lot that we're doing to kind of keep the engine running and the programmatic kind of uh, performative elements up and running. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot to be said for recognizing because this is exactly what's happening is, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to engage in come some kind of like spiritualized interpretation of, of a crisis and make it a good thing, right? But I can, but I am willing to say that there is an analogy between the 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 spreading of the spirit among the elders, mm-hmm. yeah, including the accidental spreading. It's apparent accidental spreading beyond those who have been trained and authorized. Yeah. And what's happening right now, where you've got people at home without any proper training, leading church with their neighbor or their children, right? Yeah. Uh, which might, I mean, to, to be able to say what Moses says, you know, I wish all the Lord's people were prophets. Well, wasn't this what was fulfilled uh, at Pentecost? Wasn't this wish of Moses exactly where we're supposed to be? And yet, haven't we again and again returned to the professionalization of a clergy that have eldership and prophetic uh, authority and bearers of the spirit over against the people? rather than with the people. And now that doesn't deny the role of eldership and uh, uh, authority because as it says, God took from the spirit that was on Moses, right? So it's not, right. it's not a, 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 a sort of separate empowerment that under, that's intended to undermine Moses's authority, mm-hmm. um, but it's that Moses' authority is shared, you know? Right, uh, right. And same with, you know, with Pentecost, right? It's the apostles and the inner circle of 120 that are given the spirit, right? Yeah. Which then blows out from there. But the apostles continue to have a role. So I'm not denying that there's not a, not a place for uh, clerical authority. I actually would affirm it and say that that's one yeah. of the ways the spirit works. But um, I think you're dead right that, that, uh, that Moses is trying to do it all himself. And uh, this crisis is helping us see that, we're still addicted to doing it all ourselves. And, and this is, this is a repetitive, this is a, a repeating struggle for Moses. Yeah. You know, early in his career, he's got his father-in-law saying, you're going to kill yourself if you're not, you know, spreading more of this out. And I, I think some, in some ways, this is just the life of the pastor is continually reminding yourself. It's not all on you. It's not all on me. Yeah. And how to communicate that to your, flock in a way that says, I want to quit doing my job right. um, or I want you to do my job because that's how it comes off sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's why, I th- yeah, that's why I think it's helpful to be actually to assert your authority more clearly 
by identifying what are the areas where, no, I, I am going to, you know, exercise authority in these areas. Yeah. Um, and then here's the stuff where, oh, I can't make that decision for you. You know, the, when you, um, ironically, sometimes the kinds of things that leaders do to, that are intended to be inclusive just become micromanagement. And you're still involved in everything. I know a lot of pastors who are kind of empowering their clergy as it were. I mean, powering the laity as it were, um, but still so involved in all the stuff that the lay people are leading that they're still carrying the burden, right? Yeah. Yeah. And what does it mean to really let go of that stuff? You know, um, that's easier said than done, but I think it's worth saying. And this is an opportunity to preach on the issue. So if this is something that I mean, if pastors listen in on this and want to say, hey, I, w- I want to speak to this, this could be a great text to speak on this again and kind of own it. Say, hey, sometimes I'm a little like Moses. I whine about you guys to God. <laughs> and God has been calling me out and saying, it's my spirit. I- I'll spread it around, you know, yeah. not that I am ath- authorizing others. No, God is authorizing you. And look, this is already the promise fulfilled in the Pentecost. You already have the spirit on you. Yeah. We don't have to have some magical moment now where 70 of you get the spirit, you already are, right? Yeah. Um, uh, as believers, you are um, bearers of the spirit. So this is, this wish of Moses is, is already our reality that yeah. we just ignore at, at our own peril. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that registers. I think that's a, I think that's the way to go with this sermon oh. and not just because of the, not just because of the COVID stuff, although that kind of makes it so, uh, palatable, uh, makes it so uh, palpable right now. Right. Right. Um, we might not want to include this, John, but did you see the, the article on the Pope telling people that they confess (laughs) to God themselves? Yeah. 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 And, and and then like little memes with Luther saying, yeah, like, Hey, that's my idea. (laughs) But, uh, um, even though, even though someone might know that's true, just how powerful it is to have someone in authority remind right. you of those things. That's right. So as, you know, as, as, as pastors, as clergy, even just reminding the people of, of what they already know is true, mm-hmm. uh, that perhaps can so easily forget or, or shy away from. Yeah. This is a random aside, but it might connect 70 can't help. I can't help but think of the 70 that are sent out. Right. that Jesus sends out Um, and the symbolism of, you know, there's the 12, like the 12 tribes of Israel, the 70 that are sent out. And interestingly, in some versions, some versions of, of the synoptic gospels, it's 72, which is interesting. That's what I was just looking up. Yep. yep. Right. So, but it's a, it's a textual variant problem. (laughs) So we don't, we don't have a solution for sure, which one that was original, but in a way it perfectly fits. Right. Yeah. Although by the, by the time in the upper room in acts two, it's, it's 120, mm-hmm. which is an interesting number as well, which is probably the 70 plus some. Right. Right. Um, and so the, the, there's this kind of inner circle moving outward into these broader uh, groups. Um, and I just think the symbolism of that is, is suggestive. And when it comes to, so practically, like, I mean, you know, if I was, if I was giving a talk to church leaders on this text, I would, I would ask the question, you know, looking at both Jesus' life and, and uh, Moses' life and Elijah. And we know, you know, Jesus and Jesus met Moses and Elijah, of course, on the Transfiguration Mountain, right? They're old buds. But, uh, you know, there's the kind of question of who's your Joshua, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Which is kind of the equivalent of the who's your Elisha or your Peter for uh-huh. Jesus. Um, who's that one key person, but then who's your Peter, James and John, your kind of inner circle, right? Mm-hmm. Which would be Joshua and Miriam and, and Aaron, right? Yeah. So who's your one, who's your three, who's your 12, right? Yeah. Who's your 70. That's that kind of, no, yeah. and then, yeah. I mean, and so thinking like, who are the people I'm, I'm open to sharing authority with, sharing leadership with, sharing my spirit with, and not hogging, not being jealous and, and clinging and recognizing it's not just about one or three or 12, it's even 70. You know, I should be able to even list 70 people who I think of as having authority in my community. 
I think it's important too then um, in those questions to to try to look at this from the perspective of Joshua as well and to be asking yourself to be challenging people. What, mm. are, what are the voices that you're tempted to try to suppress? Oh, man. Well, that's a whole other sermon, which is a great one. And all our exegesis today can bounce over into that, right? Which is, mm-hmm. is to really tell the story from Joshua's perspective. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Oh, that'd be interesting. That's a whole different one that I think is a great, a great sermon. I think would be actually probably the Moses centered stuff that you, it's because we teach pastors and train pastors that we tend to you and I zoom in on like a, someone like Moses, but actually the sermon that's going to be relevant to local church is actually more likely to be the one about Joshua. Yeah. You know what I mean? To kind of be Moses for the Joshua in your community and tell them the good news that you don't have to be jealous for me or anybody else. Yeah. Um, would that all would be prophets. Are you listening to the voice of God wherever the Ruach blows, right? John three, the, the, the Numa blows where it wills, you know, you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going, but you hear its voice, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. John three verse 10. I think that is, you could make that as a connection verse. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and you could totally see it being like, well, it's okay for the 70 to have it, but these random two guys, they weren't at the gathering. Yeah, they weren't even they weren't even at church. And you could run, I mean, you could run the whole first half of the sermon kind of basically making Joshua's case. Yeah. Yeah. And then flip it around. Yeah. Uh I don't know. That might be a better sermon. We spent, I know, the first 10, 15 minutes on the sort of more Moses-centric one, but that's a great sermon too. Again, it just a lot of depends. That's a contextual judgment for our listeners of what yeah, you'd want to yeah. run with. And I'm thinking even in my own life, it both applies. There are ways in which I am a Moses where I need to let go. And there's some places where I'm a Joshua who needs to listen and not refuse. Yeah. (laughs) And if you're not a Joshua in one sense or another, there might be, there might be some problems. Oh, surely. Yeah. But but if if, if you can't, I heard what you meant. We're all a Joshua in some sense. Yeah. And if you have a hard time identifying a Moses in your life, I don't know. That says something. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. I, uh, I want to say a big thank you to you for taking the time to do this. Uh, an hour. It's been more than an hour. Uh, the episode will probably be less than an hour when it's all edited. Thanks. Uh, speaking of which, thanks to Eric and Todd for all the editorial work they do. We gave their, uh, Gave them a little extra work this time with lots of uh, interruptions and uh, technical difficulties, but alas, uh, can't imagine doing the show without them. Thank you guys so much. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. And with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.